Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. The motto of the Boy Scouts is, Be Prepared. The Scouts founder, Robert Baden-Powell, was asked once to clarify, prepared for what? Why for any old thing, was his reply. There are countless things and situations we need to be prepared for in life. And today, John shares with us the one thing we must be prepared for as he continues his series on the book of Revelation with the first of a two-part message, the rapture of the church. If you guys can take your memory back about two years to Hurricane Harvey time, I don't know what you were doing a night or two before that storm came, but I knew that I had to get some water because they were saying we might have to stay in our house for several days. And so I went to HEB up here on Fairmont to buy some water. They were out. Drove down to the Randalls on Clear Lake uh, City Boulevard down there. They were out. Finally found some water in a store and took it home. But when that was over, I said, I'm never going to make that mistake again. I'm never going to be out of water. So I want to show you guys a picture of a secret room in my house where I keep the water. There it is right there. And if we ever have a problem, you just call me and I'll make you a good deal on one of those cases of water. But from that experience, I learned a very important lesson. I would rather be ready then have to get ready. And nowhere is that statement more true than when it comes to the rapture of the church. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. So if you'll open your Bibles, please, to the book of Revelation, I want us to begin by looking at a verse in chapter number one where Jesus gives us the outline for the entire book of Revelation in one verse. Revelation chapter number one and in verse number 19. Jesus says to the Apostle John, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. And so the outline to Revelation falls nicely into three categories. He said, John, write down the things which you have seen. What had he seen? He had seen a vision of Jesus Christ. And we talked about that last Sunday morning. John wrote that down. Then Jesus said, John, after you've done that, I want you to write down the things that are. What is happening right now? And we read about those things in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation. John, or Jesus rather, told John what to write to the seven churches of that day, the seven dominant churches there in Asia Minor. And so that was all written down. And then Jesus said, John, then I want you to write about the things which will take place after this. I want you to write about future events. And that's what the majority of this book is about. Now, as I've been preparing these messages and thinking about the best way to handle this, I have two options today. Either we can start with chapter 2, which would be the logical place for us to go, and for the next seven Sunday mornings, I could preach a sermon on each of the seven churches in Revelation. And I had originally planned on doing that, but I thought, if I do that now, it's going to slow this series down, and it may take some of the momentum out as we're thinking about end times. And so what I want to do is to come back at the end of our study of Revelation sometime next year and do seven 
seven sermons on these seven churches. And basically we'll be thinking, in light of all we've learned in Revelation, how are we doing? How is our church doing? And so we're not going to deal with the seven churches now. We're going to pick up today in chapter number four, where John is continuing to have these visions. And he has now a very special vision of heaven, and he has caught up to meet the Lord there. So in Revelation chapter 4, let's just begin in verse number 1. John said, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately, John said, I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And so what we have here in these two verses is a picture, a description of John being taken from earth up to heaven. It is very similar to what will happen one day when you and I as Christians are taken from the earth up to heaven in an event known as the rapture of the church. Now, it's very interesting. We are living in a, in a dispensation or a season of time known as the church age, the age of grace, we could call it. It began in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came down and indwelt the hearts of all the believers, and the church age will last until the church is taken up out of the earth, until the rapture of the church. In the Greek language, the word used uh, is harpazo, to be caught up. The Latin word is the word rapto, and it literally means to be carried away with force. And so the Bible teaches that there is coming a day. We don't know when. It could be later on today. It could be before I finish this sermon. It could be next week. It could be next month. It may be three years from now. It may be longer than that. We don't know. But there's coming a day when all of us who are saved are going to be taken by force out of this earth, we'll bypass the death experience and we'll be taken immediately to heaven to be with God. You say, John, do you really believe in the rapture? Do you believe that seems kind of supernatural or fanatical or kind of way out there? Well, it is way out there. It's way out there and way up there because we'll be taken to heaven. But yes, I do believe in it. I believe in it because the Bible teaches it, and I believe in it because in the Bible we read about other people who have already been raptured, who have already been taken away from earth to heaven by force. For example, we read about a man in the book of Genesis named Enoch, and in Genesis chapter 5 in verse 24, it says, Enoch walked with God and was not for God took him. That is, God took Enoch to heaven, and he never had to die. In 2 Kings chapter 11, we read about a man named Elijah. And one day, he and his assistant, Elisha, were walking along together, having a nice conversation together. And the Bible says a chariot of fire came down from heaven. It took Elijah, and it caught him by force, and it took him up to heaven, and Elijah never had to die. There's a sense in which Jesus himself was raptured. Now, he did die, and he rose from the dead, but after that, he, we know it as the ascension when he was taken back to heaven, but you can think of that somewhat like a rapture. Let me read you this in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. It says, Now when Jesus had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, 
who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, here it is again, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And so there is a sense, it's different, but there is a sense in which after the resurrection, Jesus was taken up to heaven. He just was lifted up by the power of God, and he was uh, immediately home, and he was immediately in heaven. The Apostle John here in the Scripture this morning, a very similar experience. He looks up. He sees heaven. The door is open to heaven. He hears a voice saying, come up here. And now John is taken up into heaven, and he's able to see what's going on in heaven. And he's able to see future events. It is an absolutely amazing thing and something that one day will happen on this earth. I want you just to imagine that. And I know we've probably seen movies or video clips about the rapture. Many of you have read the Left Behind series, and so some of you are very familiar with this. But just use your imagination today and play like if it happened today. In, in, in the United States of America alone, millions of people in restaurants, in churches, at ball games, in their homes, in movies, all, everywhere they might be, when this event happens, immediately we'll be taken up to be with God in heaven. Others who are not saved, they're going to be left behind, and they will begin this seven-year period of great tribulation on the earth where everything is going to come loose. Uh, the world as we know it will completely burn up and obliterate and fall apart. At the end of those seven years, Jesus will come back to the earth and he will set up his kingdom in Jerusalem and for a thousand years he'll rule the earth. And so when we think about the rapture of the church, I think the best way to think about it is it's phase one of the second coming of Jesus Christ. We talk about the second coming. Remember, the first coming of Jesus was when he came to Bethlehem. He was born there in Bethlehem. The second coming of Jesus, though, has an A and a B. First, the rapture of the church. One day, we'll be caught up. We'll meet the Lord in the air, and he'll take us to heaven. And then, at the end of seven years, he will leave heaven. We will follow him out of heaven. He'll come back to this earth, and that's the B part, the second coming to the earth, and he will set up his millennial reign. Now, Jesus himself spoke of the rapture. He didn't use the word, but he described it in John chapter 14. We're familiar with that passage, let not your heart be troubled, Jesus said. You believe in God, believe also in me. We know that. We quote it at funerals. We hear it sometimes even on television. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Then listen to what Jesus said. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. I will come again and take you by force to be with me where I am. Clearly, that's a reference to the rapture of the church. Now, turn, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, because in this passage, we have the longest teaching in all of Scripture on this future event. Again, we don't know when it will happen. Only God knows. It could happen any moment. No, there are no signs or nothing else has to happen before this can happen. And I think so many of us who've grown up in the church, we've been hearing about the rapture since we were kids, and it hasn't happened. And I think it's just easy sometimes to think, well, if it hasn't happened by now, maybe it won't happen. No, it's going to happen, and it may well happen in our lifetimes. Now, you're in 1 Thessalonians 4, and I'm going to join you there in just a moment, but jot this reference down out of 1 Corinthians 15. 
Because I want to read you two verses in, in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 and 52, where Paul, again, talks about the rapture. He said, Behold, I tell you a mystery. That is a hidden truth. Let me say this about the rapture. It was not something that had really been taught up until this point. It had been uh, veiled. It was a hidden truth. It was a mystery. And now God is revealing it. And here's how Paul describes it. He says, We shall not all sleep. That word sleep in the Bible talks about death. Paul said, you need to understand, not everybody's going to die. There is a generation of Christians out there who will never taste death. No, what's going to happen? We'll not all sleep. He says, but we shall all be changed. What does he mean? He says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And so... Those of us who are living on the earth, when the rapture takes place, we bypass death, immediately we'll be changed, taken by force, caught up into the air to meet the Lord there, and we'll be with Him. In that moment, we'll be given our resurrected bodies. Now, before I say too much about that, in 1 Thessalonians 4, this is such a full passage. I want to just look at this beginning in verse 13. Because Paul is talking about the rapture here, and he says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep or those who have died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. In other words, Paul is saying, here a lot of Christians have died in Thessalonica, and some of the Christians who are still living are concerned, and they're thinking, well, what happened to my mother? What happened to my father? Are they just dead? Are they just forever in a grave? Will I ever see them again? What's going on here? And they were grieving, and they had no hope of anything beyond the grave. Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. And so Paul is saying, if you believe Jesus rose from the dead, then that means you believe Jesus has conquered death. That means you believe everybody who has Christ living in his or her heart has nothing to fear when it comes to death. There's life beyond the grave. Verse 15, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep or who have died. Verse 16 is the rapture. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up in the Greek Bible, harpazo in the Latin Vulgate, rapto, here's our word, rapture, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Verse 18, therefore, comfort one another with these words. You know, if you weren't saved, if you're not saved, this is a frightening ex experience. To think about a day when millions of people are going to leave this earth and you're going to be left down here without them. That is a frightening thing. But for those of us who are saved, Paul says, you shouldn't be frightened thinking about the rapture. You should be encouraged. In fact, he said, comfort one another with these words. And so the first question I want us to think about today is, 
what's going to happen at the rapture. There's going to be this shout from heaven, the voice of the archangel, presumably Michael, and the trumpet of God will sound. It's going to happen so quickly, quicker than I can snap my finger, quicker than you can blink your eyes. It's going to happen. What, what, is, what all is going to take place? The first thing that will happen is that bodies of saved people will come out of the grave. And that's what Paul was saying. He said, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And so today, a Christian dies. What do we do with that person? Well, we have a funeral for them. And then we take them to the cemetery. I did this on Friday twice. And I was at Grandview Cemetery, two chapel services, two burials at Grandview. And there I am under a tent, family sitting before me, the casket right here. And I'm to say something to this family to encourage them. And that's exactly what I do from the Word of God. I can remember back in 1993, my grandfather on my mother's side died, first grandparent I had lost. And so our family flew to Atlanta for his funeral service, and there we were in that church there in Georgia, and the pastor said during the service to those of us in the family, he said, now, Mr. Webb was a Christian man. We all know that. And so your family has nothing to worry about. He is in heaven today, and it brought us great comfort. We went to the cemetery, and there we are with my grandfather's body inside that casket. Same pastor said this. He said, now, we're going to put Mr. Webb's body in this grave, but you have nothing to worry about. One day, his body's coming up out of this grave. And I thought, well, now, which is it? Back at the church, you said he's already in heaven, and now you're saying one day he will be. Where is he now? Well, the pastor was right both places. When my grandfather died, what happened? His spirit, his soul, came immediately out of his body, and it went to be with God in heaven. I want to make a distinction today between the body and the spirit. The body is our outer man. It's the part of me that you can see. You look up here and see my body. I look out there and see your body. But inside of your body and inside of mine, there is an eternal, immortal soul. Bodies die, souls never die. Bodies are mortal, souls are immortal. Bodies are temporary, souls are eternal. And when the body dies, what does the soul do? The soul slips right out of that body. And the soul goes to heaven to be with God. That's why the scripture says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Let's say that together. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You say, well, what's your grandfather look like now? Is he some disembodied spirit floating around? No, he's not. Jesus taught us in a parable in Luke 16 that my grandfather and all of our loved ones who've gone on to heaven who were saved, right now they have a new body. It is a recognizable body. My grandfather can recognize my grandmother and vice versa. And if I were to die today and go to heaven, I'd get a recognizable body and they could recognize me and I could recognize them. And so my grandparents are not just floating around up there in heaven. They've got a body and they, their face is recognizable. But one day at the rapture of the church, when there's a shout from heaven, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet sounds, Jesus will leave heaven. He will come to the air and he will bring with him all four of my grandparents and all of our loved ones who are there now. And in that moment, their bodies will come out of the grave. Their bodies will be reunited with their souls. And then they will have their resurrected body. And so right now, my grandfather is in a recognizable body, but at the rapture of the church, he will receive his resurrected body. The only person in heaven who has a resurrected body right now is Jesus. 
Everybody else up there has a recognizable body, but it's not their permanent and final body. But at the rapture, it will be. And as soon as that happens, the Bible says those of us who are saved, we're going to go up and meet them in the air, and we'll get our resurrected body. So that's why Paul said, we shall not all sleep, we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. And so if the rapture were to take place right now while I'm preaching, what would happen? Me and everybody else in this room who is saved would be caught up by force, and we would be given our resurrected body just like that. Now, the rapture of the church is letter A of the second coming, and it's, we're going to meet the Lord in the air, and then he will take us right up to heaven for seven years. At the end of the seven years, when, the tribu- when Jesus gets ready to end the tribulation, we'll, he'll leave heaven again. We'll follow him out of heaven. The battle of Armageddon will happen. And Jesus will, the Bible says in Zechariah 14, set his feet on the Mount of Olives. Remember, at the rapture, his feet don't come to the earth. He's only coming to the air. But on the second coming to the earth, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. The mountain will split. He'll set up his kingdom and we'll be with him forever. But the thing today we're thinking about is the rapture of the church. And so the, Paul said, comfort one another with these words. Friend, I want you to know that loved one that you have lost, their body may be in a grave, but their soul, their spirit is alive in heaven with God today. And so this is a wonderful thing. In fact, I was interested to learn as I was studying for this sermon Back in Bible times, the word that they would use for a cemetery, in fact, we get our English word cemetery from this Greek word, koimaterion, koimaterion, and it literally means a sleeping place, a sleeping place. Sometimes they would use that same word, koimaterion, for an inn or for a motel, and somebody would go and they would say, this is a sleeping place, and you can come here and sleep through the night. You'll wake up in the morning and you'll feel refreshed. And then you can go. And so our word cemetery comes from that word. What does this mean? It means that my grandfather's body is in the ground. We could say it's sleeping in the ground. But my grandfather is in heaven. He's alive. He's with Jesus in a recognizable body, better than he's ever been. And one of these days, we will be reunited together. We hope that today's message has been a blessing to you. And today we have an extra special treat. John has joined us in the studio. Welcome, John. Well, Rick, I'm glad to be in the studio today, and I can remember the day I preached that sermon, and I talked about my grandfather's funeral and about how at the church service, the pastor said, Mr. Webb is in heaven with the Lord, and then we got to the graveside, and he said, well, we're burying his body, and one day, Mr. Webb's going to come up out of that grave, and he's going to be with God in heaven, and it kind of confused me because I kind of wondered where my grandfather was right now. Of course, as I said in that sermon, I, I learned that When a Christian dies, our spirit and our soul goes immediately to heaven to be with God forever. Our body does go into the ground at the rapture of the church. Our body will come up out of that ground and be reunited with our soul, and then we'll have our resurrected body. But I guess what was on my heart maybe to share with those listening today is just a couple of thoughts about death. First of all, let me say to you that if you are a child of God, you have absolutely nothing to fear when it comes to death. And the reason I say that is because you're not going to die. Now, it is true that your body will die, but we're not a body. We are a soul, and we have a body, but we live inside of these bodies. The Bible says our earthly bodies are like a tent, and when we get to heaven, we get a new body, and our new body is like a house. When my grandfather died, he moved out of his tent and into his house, 
out of that which is temporary and into that which is permanent and eternal in the heavens with God. And so I want to say to the person listening today who may find themselves afraid of death and thinking, what's going to happen to me when I die? Well, friend, if you're a Christian, the only thing that's going to happen is your spirit is going to come right out of your body and you're going to be with God in heaven immediately, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And the second thought I would share today for for those of us who may think, well, I'm not thinking about my own death, but I'm I'm thinking about someone I've lost, someone close to me who has died, and I just miss them so much, and I would give anything to see them again. Let me say this to you, friend. If they were saved and if you are saved, one day you will see them again. That's what's going to be so wonderful about heaven. We are going to be reunited with our loved ones, and we'll never have to be separated in heaven. Heaven is a place where there are no goodbyes, and so I would just encourage you to keep that in your heart and keep that in your mind and to remember that every day you live, you are one day closer to seeing that loved one again, that mom, that dad, that husband, that wife, that brother, that sister, that child, that friend. With each passing day, you're one day closer to seeing that person again. And so when we think about heaven, we have so much to look forward to. And I just wanted to share those thoughts with you today, hoping that would be an encouragement to you. John, thank you for coming in and sharing those words of encouragement with us today. I know that they will be a help to someone. And to our listeners, thank you for spending some time with us today. And we look forward to you joining us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.